morning. We're in uh, week two of our Joyride series. And uh, of course, we began last week, but we're going to take the next several weeks and we're going to work our way through the entire book of Philippians, where Paul, among other things, he talks about how we can have true, genuine joy, which is, is what we all need, right? We're focusing on joy here. I, I mean, I, I've never met anybody who said, you know, boy, the last thing in the world I could use is more joy in my life, you know? We haven't met anybody that way yet. We can all use more joy, and so that's what we're talking about. And if you remember from last week, uh, we talked about how joy, it's different than happiness. Happiness and joy are not the same thing, and so we, we kind of gave some definitions to joy and happiness, and we defined joy as an ongoing internal sense of delight regardless of our circumstances, And then we talked about happiness, how it's different than joy, that happiness, on the other hand, could be defined as a positive emotional experience. It's an experience. It's not something that's ongoing, but rather it's an experience that is based upon a circumstance. And come on, it's great to be happy. We all like it when we're happy. In fact, being happy is better than being unhappy, right? Some of you don't look convinced of that. Yeah, being happy is better than being unhappy, but what we really need and what God really wants to deposit within us is a genuine joy that can't be stolen from us. And so we talked last week about uh, four keys that Paul gave us in the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1 of how we can experience true joy in our lives. And as always, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you, you can go to our website. In fact, we have a new website if you haven't checked that out yet. And uh, I encourage you to check out our new website. And among other things that you can do there is uh, you can go to all of our past services and you can watch them. So if you missed, you can watch them. If there's something uh, that you maybe missed in the middle of the service and you want to catch that again, you can do that. Or here's a great thing. If you uh, heard a sermon and you thought, man, so-and-so really needs to hear this. This would encourage them. You can share that with them. So we encourage you to do that. But for the sake of this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about how we can have joy even in the midst of crisis. How, how even in the, in the midst of our greatest difficulty, God, when he is in the picture, can give us joy. He can redeem even the most difficult of our circumstances, and he can provide uh, meaning out of, out of our difficult circumstances. And we say this all the time around here. This is something we talk about a lot, is that God never wastes a hurt. That we can waste them, but God will never waste them, which really is what Paul is talking about in those verses that were read for us on the video. Paul talks about this incredible joy that he's experiencing, even though the reality is he is in the midst of great difficulty personally. In fact, in these three short verses, uh, Paul gives three reasons as to why he has so much joy and why we can too, regardless of what difficulty we may be facing in life. So we're just going to jump right in. We're going to look at these three uh, principles that Paul gives us as as to how we can have joy in the midst of crisis. The first one is this, and again, this is something that we talk about quite a bit around here, is that we can have joy in the midst of crisis because we know that God has has promised to provide purpose in the midst of our pain. That our pain is not meaningless, it's not purposeless. In other words, no matter what you may be experiencing right now, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful, you can have confidence 
that God not only will bring you through it, we just sang that song, you know, I'm going to have the victory, that God will give us victory, that he will bring us through it, that God, God is a God who always brings us through. Now, sometimes we wish that he would take us around, but he never promised to do that. But he did promise to take us through. I heard this quote again this past week. I don't remember who said it originally, but they said the, the best way out of something is straight through it. And God has promised to take us through it, but not only that, he will also use it in order to strengthen and encourage not only us. You know, Paul talks about how that, um, or James talks about how that um, difficulties produce perseverance in our lives. It strengthens, strengthens us. Paul talks about that too, and I think it's Romans where he says that, you know, when we go through trouble and difficulty that it produces something in us, perseverance, and perseverance winds up completing a work in us. So it not only strengthens us, but it will also strengthen and encourage and minister to other people. Now, we, we talked a little bit about this last week, but as Paul writes this, again, he's experiencing a period of great difficulty in his own life personally. In fact, this is what he says in verse 12. He says, now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to Paul? Well, his story is found in Acts chapters 21 through 28. We're not going to read the whole thing today uh, because of time, but essentially what happens to Paul is that he's in Jerusalem and he takes an offering to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, there are people there who don't like him. And so they accuse him of bringing a non-Jew into the temple, which is against the Jewish law. It's against the law for a Gentile to go beyond the outer courts, the court of the Gentiles, into the inner court. And so these, these people who, they have it out for Paul anyway, and they see, they've seen him hanging out with this guy by the name of Trophimus, who is a friend of Paul's from Ephesus. And uh, Trophimus, of course, is a Gentile, and so they assume that since Paul has been hanging out with Trophimus, he's probably taken him into the temple as well. And so they begin to accuse him of this. Well, this causes a huge riot. And in order to calm the riot, Jerusalem is under the occupation of Rome, and so these Roman soldiers, they take Paul into custody. Last week, we talked about how Paul was arrested for... Uh, casting a demon out of a young girl and delivering her from being demonized. This week, he's arrested for taking an offering to church. Uh, talk, about, talk about bad things happening to good people. Hey, by the way, we'll never arrest you for bringing an offering to church, just so you know, in case you wondered that. But this is what happens to Paul. And so uh, what happens is, is these Jewish leaders, what they really want is they want Paul put to death, you know? He's kind of infringed on their power. He's preaching about Jesus. Remember, they're the ones that re are responsible for accusing Jesus and having Jesus crucified. And so they don't like this message that Paul is bringing, that Jesus actually has resurrected, that he really was who he said he was. And so they want Paul put to death. And so they bring all these false accusations against him. And not only that, there are 40 of them who make this oath, and they, they swear that, here's, here's the deal, we will not eat anything or drink anything until Paul is dead. In other words, uh, we're going to help that process along, and we're not going to eat anything or drink anything until that happens. 
Well, what, what happens is, is Paul has a nephew who finds out a, about this plot. And so he comes to Paul and then, and then comes to the captain of the Roman garrison. And uh, he says, hey, this is what these guys are planning. And so the commander, um, under the cover of night, has Paul shipped down to Caesarea for his own safety. Caesarea is the place uh, where it's the seat of the Roman government in that area. And the governor who lives there is a guy by the name of Felix. Well, Felix meets with Paul. He hears Paul's story. He hears the accusations against him. And Felix doesn't know what to do with Paul. And so what he decides to do um, is he winds up just holding Paul captive for like two years. And every once in a while, Felix will send for Paul, and he thinks, you know, eventually this guy's going to bribe me or pay me to let him go. Of course, that doesn't happen. And, and after two years, there's another guy uh, that replaces Felix, a guy by the name of Festus. Every time I hear that name, I think of Gunsmoke. <laughs> Only you who are over 50 know, have any clue what I'm talking about, but uh, Festus, different Festus. But uh, Festus doesn't know what to do with Paul either. Until finally, Paul is like, listen, if you guys can't figure out what to do with me, then I appeal to Caesar. So Paul, as a Roman citizen, which he was, has the right to appeal to and have his case heard before Caesar. It's kind of like um, appealing to our, our Supreme Court, you know, just kind of going through the process. And ultimately, Caesar gets the last word. So Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. And so Paul is loaded up on this ship along with some other prisoners and some slaves and some cargo and a bunch of Roman soldiers, and they set sail for Rome. And, and this, this trip to Rome, it's not an easy journey. I mean, this isn't like a, a nice Mediterranean cruise. It's a difficult journey. In fact, along the way, there's this huge storm that comes up, and, and everybody thinks that they're going to die. And so they're, they're, they're all worried that they're going to die, so they start throwing cargo out of the ship, including they throw all of their food out, because if we're going to die, we don't need our food anyway. And the only one who thinks they're going to be okay is Paul. Paul is like, listen, God told me I'm going to go to Rome. And that can't happen if I'm dead or if you were all dead. So, so we're going to live. And so um, the, this storm winds up overtaking them. They wind up having a, a shipwreck. And everyone, like Paul said, is saved. But they wind up shipwrecked on this island called Malta. That's where they invented Malta meal. I need Dane right now. Ba-boom, boom, right? Well, on Malta... The locals, you know, they care for Paul and for the Roman soldiers and for all the prisoners. And uh, Paul, we're told he's gathering some firewood and he gets bit by this poisonous viper and uh, it, it latches onto his hand. And all the people on the island, they're like, wow, this guy must be a really bad guy because, you know, he must be a murderer or something. Because even though he escaped the shipwreck, the goddess Justice is going to make sure that his life is taken. Well, Paul doesn't die. In fact, he doesn't even get sick. And so since, since the islanders see this and they think, well, nothing can kill him, instead of a murderer, he must be a god. And so they, they switch gears on that. And, and, and the story goes on that while they're on this island, they're there for an entire winter, that uh, the, the a Roman official that is overseeing this island, because all of this is part of the Roman Empire, his father gets sick. The, guy, the guy's name is Publius. We don't know his father's name. They just 
Publius's dad, I guess, which all of you who have kids, you know, that's what your name becomes after a while. You lose your name and you become so-and-so's dad or so-and-so's mom. And, and so Publius's dad gets sick and Paul comes to him, he lays hands on him, he prays for him, and God heals him. And so the cool part of this story is that church history tells us that eventually, that because of this, Publius gives his life to Jesus, and he actually becomes the first bishop on the church of Malta. And so Paul, these are some of the things that are taking place on Paul's way to Rome. Well, eventually they're able to board a ship, they, Paul finally gets to Rome, and, and rather being thrown in a Roman prison, because Paul, he's a different kind of prisoner. They're not really sure what's going on with him. And so rather than him being thrown into a Roman prison, he's placed under house arrest. And in Acts chapter 28, we're told that in house arrest, that there's some freedom there, that there are people that are able to come and visit Paul, sometimes one at a time, sometimes in small groups, sometimes in large numbers. Uh, but, but they come to the house where Paul is staying to hear Paul talk about Jesus. And so here is Paul. Now, it's been four years. Four years has passed. And, and Paul, in this time, he's been falsely arrested. He's been shipwrecked. He's been unjustly held as a prisoner. And yet, in the midst of all of this difficulty, Paul is writing about how much joy he has, about how he rejoices over and over again, and he gives thanks. How can this be? Why? Well, I believe that it's because, first of all, that, that Paul has the presence of God living in him. We talked about this last week. That this joy that we're talking about, because it's associated with Jesus, where the presence of the Lord is, there is joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That since it's associated with Jesus, this kind of joy that we're talking about, it is only available for those who are in relationship with Jesus. So Paul has this joy because he has a relationship with Jesus. Jesus resides in him, and where the presence of the Lord is, there is joy. But the second reason I believe that Paul has joy is because he has discovered a very important truth. And the truth is this, that in life, it's not so much what happens to us that determines our joy, but in life, it's what we value the most that determines our joy. It's not so much what happens, it's what we value. And, and for Paul, he's like, you know what? What's more important to me than anything else is that people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. That's what's most important to me. And so as long as that's happening, I don't care whether that happens by me going from town to town to town and telling about Jesus, or whether it happens while I'm here in chains, or while I'm a shipwreck, or whatever. As long as that happens, that's what's most important, and so I'm going to have joy. You, you see, when, when you really understand Paul's circumstances, a lot of times we read these letters that Paul has written, we read stories, and we don't fully understand or grasp what's taking place. But when you, when you really understand Paul's circumstances, that's what makes what he writes so incredible, so amazing. Paul, Paul isn't writing about joy from a seaside resort somewhere, you know, with a fruity drink in his hand. Paul is writing about joy after four solid years of unjust, unfair imprisonment. And, and what, he's, what he's really doing 
is he's actually living out something that we just sung about that comes from what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. When he said that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I mean, it's, it's one thing to write it. It's another thing to say it. But it's a whole other level when you actually live it. I mean, when people watch you actually live it out, and this is what Paul is doing, he is living this out, and what he's finding as a result of that is there is a level of power that exists in this space that doesn't exist anywhere else. And people are like, man, I want what this guy's got. I mean, here he is, he's in prison, and he's got joy. I mean, I get fungus in my pool, and I'm down in the dumps. I don't even know, can you get fungus in a pool? I've never had one, so we'll just go with that. I got fungus in the pool, and that steals my joy. And Paul is saying, Paul is in prison, and he still has joy. Listen, I don't know what you individually are going through today, but what I do know is this, is that if you love God, And if you're walking with Jesus, whatever is happening in your life, you may not have chosen it, you you may not want it, you may not like it, but you can be sure of this one thing, and that is that if you'll let him, God has the ability to take it and work through it and make something beautiful out of it. This is what's happening for Paul. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that's what's happened to me. I mean, I'm sure that Paul is thinking that, you know, these these friends of mine in Philippi, they probably heard that I've been arrested. They've heard that all this stuff has happened to me. And I'm sure that in their minds, they're thinking, well, that's the end of that. I mean, the devil won this one. You know, Paul's in prison, so now his ministry has stopped and the gospel has stopped advancing. And so Paul writes this letter and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that instead of all that, I mean, you'd have thought that had happened, but instead of that, rather than stopping the spread of the gospel, rather than shutting down my ministry, what's actually happened is, believe it or not, my circumstances have actually served to advance the gospel. Listen, folks, this is why I personally have not gotten all shook up about how this pandemic will impact the church. I mean, I, I, I have a lot of colleagues who, in fact, I talked to one the other the day that said, man, you're way more positive about this than I am. I just am not shook up about it. This is why I'm not shook up about what's taking place in our country and in our political system and how it's going to impact the church. I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we need to participate in it. We need to pray for it. We need, to, we need to vote. We need to place our vote with people who are going to advance the agenda of God in the areas that they will do so. We need to pray for whoever it is that God has put in place. But I'm not worried about it. I mean, I I see people, and sometimes I saw this on on Facebook the other day, and y'all know the love-hate relationship I have with Facebook, but I I saw this on Facebook the other day. Somebody was saying that, you know, as a Christian, these are the worst days that I've ever lived in, and, you know, our country's going to die, and 
Paul's writing this in the time where Nero is in charge. And if you know anything about history, Nero's deal was, you know, earlier Paul writes about how how he had escaped the mouth of the lions. He wrote that because Nero was one who was responsible for throwing Christians to the lions in the Colosseums. That was the sport. Nero was the one who in Rome would take Christians and he would tie them live to poles and douse them with fuel and light them on fire to light the streets of Rome. This is the environment that Paul is writing this in. And he's saying, even in the midst of all of that, these things that I thought were awful, God is advancing the gospel. Man, I'm not shook up about it. Because here's the bottom deal. There is nothing that can stop the mission of God. Nothing. Yeah, we ought to clap for that. Now, how it advances may look different than anything we've grown accustomed to. How it advances may be different than anything, quite frankly, that we personally are comfortable with and like. But understand this. First of all, the advancement of the gospel never has had anything to do with your or my level of comfort. It hasn't. And secondly, and most importantly, again, I'm going to say it again, nothing can stop the mission of God to seek and to save the lost. In fact, I love the the Greek word that Paul uses here for advanced. It's a word that kind of gives this imagery, this idea of an army that is continuing to move forward under heavy fire. it's, It's an army that is moving forward against great resistance. And so Paul is saying, he's saying, I know it's like the enemy is trying to stop me. It's like the enemy is resisting me and these people are resisting me. The the Jewish leaders, they're resisting me and the Romans are resisting me. And all of this is happening. I'm experiencing all of this opposition. But in the midst of all of that, he says the gospel is still advancing. Listen, if you are a child of God, be encouraged. We, we can be encouraged because whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're going through, God wants to use it for good to advance the gospel. Whatever, is that what we value? That leads us to the second thing. We can have joy in the midst of crisis because we know that people will see and experience Jesus through our crisis. Now, before we go any further, I want to make something very clear. I am in no way saying that God causes the crises of our life, crises, crises, that more grammatic, thank you, that's more grammatically correct. I, I don't believe that God causes the crises in our lives in order to advance the gospel. In other words, I don't believe that God sits up in heaven and goes, oh man, what should I do today? Um, I think what I'll do today is I'm going to cause this person to get cancer. I'm going to cause this person to to endure severe financial difficulty. I'm going to cause this person to lose their job. I'm going to cause this person over here to lose somebody that they love deeply. And that's how I'm going to advance the gospel. I don't believe that that's how God works. In fact, Scripture is pretty clear that those types of things happen to us as a result of living in a fallen world. And they happen to to people who 
know Jesus, and they happen to people who don't know Jesus, that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That's what Scripture says. And, and so what I am saying is that as followers of Jesus, one of the reasons that we can still find joy even in the midst of our crisis is because we know that God has promised to redeem our crisis if we'll let him. Look, look at verse 13. Paul says, as a result, as a result of the gospel advancing, as the result of people giving their lives to Christ, even though I'm here, he says, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, when Paul talks about being in chains, what he's talking about is this, is that in those days when somebody was under house arrest in Rome, it was custom that they would be chained to a Roman soldier with an 18-foot chain. That's about 18 inches, I think. So they would be chained to a Roman soldier with an 18-inch uh, chain. And, and so Paul's under house arrest, and this was, this was uh, the Roman version of an ankle monitor, okay? The soldier was the ankle monitor. And so Paul is chained to this Roman soldier 24-7, and, and actually, it's a number of soldiers because it was customary that every six hours, typically, these soldiers would rotate. They would serve shifts. So Paul would be chained to this one particular soldier from 6 a.m. to noon. And, and then from noon to 6, he would be chained to another guy. And from 6 to, what's next, 12, midnight, he would, I, I do math too. He would be chained to another soldier. And then from midnight to six, another soldier. And they would rotate through. And there would be multiple soldiers that he is chained to. And so Paul is chained to these soldiers every moment. You know, he's chained when he's sleeping. He's chained when he's eating. He's, he's chained when he's taking care of his personal business, if you know what I mean. He, he's chained when he's sick. They're right there connected with him. But listen, they're also there when he's talking to people about Jesus. They're also there when he's studying scripture and he's dictating letters to the churches. They're also there when he's praying, when he's crying out to God. They're there when he's singing. We know he does that, right? He was released from another prison when he was singing and praising God at midnight. You got the midnight shift and Paul is singing praises to Jesus. They are connected to Jesus or to Paul when he's worshiping, which really, I guess I said it right. They're connected to Jesus, really, because Jesus is them, Paul. And so Paul says that the result of all these different Roman soldiers not only listening to him about his relationship with Jesus, but actually watching him and experiencing him live this out in these circumstances 24-7, Paul says it has become clear. In other words, there ain't a doubt about it that I am in chains for Jesus. He says it's, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard. Now, this is interesting because the palace guard, they were the best of the best. I mean, these were the elite forces. These were like, they were, these were like the secret service of Rome. They were the ones who were charged to protect Caesar and his household. And so the thing about these guys is, is that in order to enter into the palace guard, it was a minimum of a 12-year commitment. But here's the deal, the payoff for that 12-year commitment 
was that when they were done with their, their time of service, they were guaranteed three things. Number one, they would be given a large sum of money. In other words, they would be set for life financially. Number two, they would be guaranteed tax-free status for the rest of their lives. Wouldn't that be nice? But then number three, and most importantly, is that each of these individuals would be guaranteed a spot somewhere in the Roman Empire. They would be sent out all across the Roman Empire and given positions of influence within the Roman government. And so what does God do? He chains those guys to Paul. They don't have a choice, you know. Sure, Paul's chained to them, but come on, really, they're chained to Paul. And they don't have a choice. And so for six hours a day, every day, they're listening to Paul talk about Jesus. They're listening to him pray. And come on, you can't tell me that he's not praying over them, right? Because Paul is a follower of Jesus, and Jesus says we're to pray for our enemies. And so Paul prays over them, and I guarantee you what he's praying is not, God, would you just smash these rotten, stinking Romans? No. He's praying, God, would you bless these men? God, would you have your hand upon them? Would you help them to know how valuable they are and how much that you love them? And he's mentioning them by name, and he's getting to know them, and he's praying over their kids. And he's saying, God, would you... Would you please just have your hand on Roman soldier junior? And would you help him to be a person of integrity? Would you help him to grow up to to be a man of integrity? And would your blessing fall upon him? And would you give him all the desires of his heart? And guess what happens? These guys are chained to Paul. They're being influenced by Paul. They're watching him. They're listening to him. But they're being ministered to by him. And all of a sudden, a bunch of them start to get saved. How do we know this? Because at the end of this letter in Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, it says that all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who who belong to Caesar's household. And so these guys, they are the palace guard. They go back. They've encountered Jesus. They go back and they begin to tell their families about Jesus. And they even begin to talk about it in the palace of Caesar. That they're giving their lives to Jesus. Because they have seen, in the midst of Paul's crisis, they have seen and experienced Jesus. And what is so cool about this, and and don't miss this, the reason that Paul can say, what has happened to me has caused the gospel to advance, is because, follow me on this, Paul is a missionary, right? And so he's one guy that goes from place to place to place. He, he can only be one place at one time. Now, all of a sudden, man, this gets squashed, and he can't do it anymore. And so now, Paul, as a missionary, he's ministering to these people here. They give their lives to Jesus, and these guys, they get sent out all over the Roman Empire as missionaries of the gospel financed by the Roman Empire. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. That's the way that he works. And so I don't know about you, but that encourages me because as difficult as my circumstances might be and and as difficult as your circumstance may be, we are reminded that God will never, ever, ever waste a hurt if we'll allow him to. He can take whatever it is that we're going through and he can work in it and through it in order to win people for Jesus. And because of that, we can find a great sense of joy. 
Listen, whether you know it or not, there are people who watch you. And there are people who listen to you. There are people who God has connected to you. Now, that's the way we say it. There are people who God has chained to you. There are people that God has connected to you in order to reveal himself to them. As they watch you, as they see him work in and through you, even in the midst of your crisis. This is why one of, one of the values that we have around here is it's important to live an authentic life. Not just the great stuff, but the reality of, man, these are the difficulties that I'm facing in life. These are the struggles that I have. These are the challenges that I'm facing. And allow people to be able to see the good, the bad, and the ugly, but also see the way that God is working in the midst of the good and the bad and the ugly. And so I want to challenge you this morning. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, if you find yourself in a crisis right now, I challenge you, write it down. Describe what it is. And and then just invite God into it. Not not just to rescue you from it. I mean, we we do need to pray that. In fact, I I pray that. There's some things that I'm going through in my life right now that I pray, God, would you rescue us from this? Would you work in it? Would you do something? But I believe that God wants to move us to the next place to say, and in the meantime, God, if you can use it, if you can work through it, If you can accomplish your will through what I'm going through, then have at it. I'm all in. Until you bring me through it, would you use it? And then I encourage you, after you pray that prayer, to write it down. Just as you write that down, to write down these words. It has become apparent. And then watch and see what God does. And write down that it's become apparent that God has done this because he's working in my life as I go through this. I'm telling you, it'll bring joy to your life and it'll encourage you. All right, last one, number three. We can have joy even in the midst of crisis because we know that our example will encourage the witness of other people. I want to say this again, whether you know it or not, there are people who watch you. That there are people who watch, and they're they're not just listening to what you say, they're watching to see, do you live, is the way that you live, does it match up to what you say? Did we just lose a light? Yeah. Everything got dark here for just a second. But people are watching you. They're they're wanting to know, is, is the way that you live your life, does it match up to what you say? And, and, and obviously, people who don't know Jesus are watching you, but there are people who do know Jesus who are watching you too. In fact, have you ever, have you ever been around somebody, you know, especially somebody who, who knows and loves Jesus, and you, you observe the way that they live, how they approach life, how they talk to people, and, and deep down inside, you're like, man... I want to be more like that. I mean, you just see the way that they live their lives, and there's just something attractive about it. And you're like, man, I, I want to be more like that. I, I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of person who, when people walk away from me, that's what they say. They say, I want to, I want to be more like that. I want, to, I want to care for people like that. I want to treat people like that. I want to share Jesus with people like that. Just this past month, Laura and I, 
I had the honor of uh, spending some time with some good friends of ours, uh, Jay and Judy Jellison. They have a ministry just outside of Topeka, Kansas. And uh, some of you probably remember uh, Jay and Judy. They have been to the church a couple of times as part of the Dan Bohai ministry team. But uh, one day, Laura and I met Jay and Judy for lunch at this little hole-in-the-wall Mexican restaurant in Ozaki, Kansas. It was like the only thing in Ozaki, Kansas. But uh, we, we met them for lunch, and, and we, we watched the two of them as they just, they just loved on the lady that owned that restaurant. Uh, you know, instead of doing what most of us typically do, you know, here's what I want to eat. Now, how long is it going to be before I get it? Instead, they, they just took the time to talk to her about her day. And they, they talked to her about her family. And they talked to her about how much they loved the restaurant and how everything that she made was incredibly awesome. And, and obviously, this wasn't the first time that Jay and Judy had been into this restaurant. You could tell that this was the routine every time they went in. And it was the same, you know, they took the time, they paid attention, they loved, they gave value. And, and, and guess what? Now she's beginning to wonder, what's up with them? Oh, you guys are followers of Jesus. Because they begin to tell her about their lives. They begin to have conversation about what's taking place in their lives. And she's like, oh, you're followers of Jesus. So this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Because that's not what I see a lot of the times. A lot of the times on social media, I see followers of Jesus attacking non-followers of Jesus. And I see all this stuff going on. But this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the day that we were there, this woman, before we left, she said, you know what? I need to come to your church sometime. They didn't even have to invite her. She was just like, I want what you guys got. And she's like, I, I, need to, I need to come to your church sometime. That, that same morning, Jay got a call from his mechanic. And the, the guy had called him and said, you know what? I've tried everything else, and it hasn't worked, and I think I need Jesus. And so Jay called this guy. to say, He said, I want what you've got. Would you be willing to meet with me and spend time with me and just share with me? What is it that makes you so happy? And the reason why is because he did the same thing with his mechanic. And, and Laura and I talked about this when we got back in the car and, and we drove away. We, we, we said, um, I want to be like that. I want to be more like that. I, I, I want to I respond to people like that. We talked about this last week. But, but every time as Christians we walk into a room, there ought to be an immediate upgrade to the room. I mean, whenever, whenever we leave a room, people ought to feel better when we left than when we came in. We ought to be life givers better than life suckers. Sometimes we're life suckers, man. Come on. We, we ought to be life givers. And that, that, that was, that's Jay and Judy and Laura and I. As we watched and we left, we talked about it. We were like, I want to be more like that. I think this might be what the writer of Hebrews was talking about when he said, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So Paul writes in verse 14, he says, because of my chains... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because of my chains. I mean, you would have thought that the chains would have caused people to be like, well, man, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, want, I don't want that. Man, man, if that's what it means to be sharing the gospel, I don't want that because look at Paul. I don't want to wind up like Paul. But Paul says you would have thought that. But guess what? 
He said the opposite is true. He said because of my chains, because of how God is using my circumstances to give me opportunities to win people for Jesus, what's happened is, is most of the brothers and sisters have seen how awesome it is to impact people's eternal destiny, and so they've developed this boldness to love and care for people by sharing Christ with them, just like they've watched me do. You see, because they saw what Paul did in the midst of his circumstances, and they saw the way that Jesus was redeeming his circumstances, how how people were coming to know Jesus, and how that brought Paul joy that was way bigger than his circumstances, they were like, I want to experience that. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Folks, this is what we were created for. If you haven't figured it out yet, we we weren't created just to live cushy, comfortable lives and then someday die. Having never impacted anybody on the planet that we live on. No, no, we were created for much more than that. You and I, we were created to be planet Shaking, world-changing influencers for Jesus Christ. In fact, I don't think there's probably any greater tragedy than to live your entire life and never lead another soul to know Jesus. Listen, all healthy things reproduce. That's one of the signs of being healthy. All healthy things reproduce. And this is our mission. And when, when, when the mission, when what we value more than anything else, when we see that being accomplished, we can have great joy in spite of our circumstances. We can have joy even in the midst of crisis because we know that if we let him, God will always provide a purpose for our pain. That, that if, we, if we let him, you know, if we let him into our crisis and use our crisis, that even our crises have an opportunity like no other for people to truly see and experience Jesus. And, and, and then we can know that as we follow Jesus and we allow him to work through us, that it will encourage other people to live the same way. That when people see, man, I, I, know that, I know that so-and-so is going through this, and I know it's got to be very painful in their lives, but I just see the way that God is still at work and, and the way that they love Jesus and the way that they're sharing Jesus, then maybe he can do that in me too. It'll encourage other people. I'm telling you, the world needs people like that. Now more than ever, the world needs you. There are people around you right now who need a source of hope. And maybe, maybe God has figuratively changed you to them, to a circumstance, in order for you to point them to him. And as they know your story and as they see your crisis, but they also see how you have hope and joy that it will impact their lives for the kingdom. And not only theirs, again, these Roman soldiers, man, they're sent out all over the world. You never know the residual effect 
of you being faithful in your influence on other people. God has called us to be influencers who influence influencers. That's what he wants to do. And so here's what I want to do as we wrap things up today. Brian, if you just play something, I, I want to I pray for you real quick. And, and I want to pray this. I want to pray, first of all, that God would release a spirit of joy in your life, a, a deeper level than maybe you've ever experienced before. And then I want to pray that, that in the midst of whatever crisis you're experiencing now, or if you're not experiencing one now, I got great news for you, you will. I mean, that's life. Whatever crisis you experience in your life, that as God works in it and through it, that he would not only strengthen you, but he would use it to advance his kingdom. Man, I'll tell you what, there's no greater joy to know that somebody's eternal destiny has been impacted because God used you. And so I want to pray that over you right now. And Jesus, today, we just thank you for your truth. Thank you for this crazy life that you've called us into. It's, it's a life where there's so much of it that just, it just kind of flipped upside down. That the things that bring us joy are not the things that everybody, when they look at it, ought to bring us joy. And we know that's because you working in us. And today, Jesus, my prayer is, Holy Spirit, I pray that as you fall upon us today, that each person who is watching this online, every single person who is in this room today, that, that you would release a, a deeper measure of joy in our lives. An, an inner delight that is ongoing, that is not dependent on what's happening out here. Lord, would you release that in us, a deeper measure of joy. And, and in Jesus, I pray that as there's many of us, as we walk out of this room today, and maybe we're encouraged, and maybe we're excited, as soon as we leave the front door, we're going to be uh, hit smack in the face with a circumstance, something that we've been wrestling through, uh, uh, something that in, in our life that, that we didn't ask for, that we don't like, that we don't want, but yet there it is. And in the midst of that today, I pray that whatever pain it causes us, that you, would, that you would give purpose to it. That it wouldn't be wasted or meaningless, but you would provide a purpose for it. I pray that as other people watch us and watch how we navigate through it, I pray that there are those who would clearly see and experience Jesus in their own lives. And then, Lord, I pray you know, for each of us that we would spur and encourage each other on and that as we, we witness each other as, as followers of Jesus, continue to press forward, continue to advance under great fire, that it would encourage our own hearts, that, that there would be this great synergy that is created that causes this world that so desperately, right in these days, so desperately needs to experience and encounter you, that we would see that take place. And Lord, I'm going to ask this boldly. I'm going to ask that there be somebody that you send to each one of us this week who you've already been at work in their lives, that your prevenient grace has already been moving and, and working in them, that you would, you would bring them across our paths and in some way, either by the way that we express love to them, by the way we serve them, by the words that we speak to them, that they would encounter you. They would come to know you. Lord, give us the boldness 
to be able to talk about you and how good you are. And so, Lord, we're just going to ask for that today. Help us to walk in your joy, regardless of what's taking place in our lives right now. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.